When I was growing up, I was not a runner. I knew I was not a runner because uh, I took PE in sixth grade. We had to run like the mile every Friday, and I did that. But after sixth grade came seventh grade, I got to be in marching band, which meant I did not have to take PE. So I did not have to run. So I knew I was not a runner. There are some people that like to run, some people that really like to run, and I was not one of those. So I like to play with my friends. I like to run around. I was not a runner. Sometimes in high school, I would test this out a little bit, and I would, I would think maybe I could be a runner. And I would uh, get on some running shoes and running clothes and go for a run in my neighborhood. And I would start off going pretty good, and I would... I would get about a quarter mile into it and my stitch in my side would hurt so bad and I would be so out of breath, I would have to stop. And it would confirm what I knew was true, which is that I am not a runner. My sophomore year of college, I had a roommate uh, who was a runner. We lived off Riverside Drive and he would go running around uh, what was called Town Lake then. It's now Ladybird Lake. They got that nice trail. They didn't have the cool uh, bridge that goes across like the, the walkway, the boardwalk, I guess. But, but it was still a pretty cool trail. And I was explaining to my roommate how I am not a runner, and he, he kept challenging me. Like, well, okay. He would say, maybe you need to come running with me. And I had all these reasons why I didn't need to do that. And eventually I ran out of reasons. So I had to go running with my roommate. I said, okay, Jordan, I'll go running with you. I went running with him, and at the beginning of the run, I, started, I kept trying to get ahead of him. And he would say, Thomas, you're going to slow down. Like, we're not, we're not racing here. We're just, we're just going on a run. I'm like, okay, well, fine, I'll slow down. And he kept having to remind me to slow down. And you know what happened? When I slowed down, I made it more than a quarter mile. I made it more than half a mile. I actually made it over a mile. I think I did two or three miles. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I am a runner. I didn't know it. I had been running too fast and burning myself out. So I thought, I'm a runner. My roommate was training for a marathon. So I thought, well, if I'm a runner, I could train for a marathon. So every day that week, I trained for a marathon. And by the end of the week, I hurt myself. I got plantar fasciitis and I had to stop running and really like walking on my foot for a week or two. Uh, if you can tell, I have a problem not overdoing it, right? <laughs> Moderation doesn't, doesn't come easy to me. Um, I was so convinced that I wasn't a runner that I wasn't even going to get a, a chance. I wonder if sometimes we don't approach the Christian faith this way. There's parts of the Christian faith that I'm sure we look at sometimes and we think, that is so not me. I am just not the type of person that does that. Now, I'm particularly thinking about reading our Bibles and having a prayer life, those things that uh, are parts of intentional faith. And I know many of us think that. We might look at someone else who reads their Bible and we think, man, I'm glad that you enjoy reading your Bible, but it's just never made much sense to me. Or we might think, yeah, I just, I'm not the type of person that has a very good prayer life. I'm sure there's people that uh, pray all the time and walk around reciting the Bible to themselves and speaking only in scripture. They also probably have wings and halos. I'm not one of those people. 
And I wonder if sometimes we just jump to that conclusion that that's not me. I'm going to leave that to professional Christians. Um, I'll go to church on Sunday and let the professionals talk to me about the Bible and prayer. But yeah, that's just not really who I am. And then once a year, we get really motivated, usually New Year's. Right? We do like a read through the Bible in a year reading plan. And unless your name's Chris Cutler and you're really good at those, you probably get to the end of January and you're still finishing the first week. And you're like, man, this is not working because you're burning yourself out. You know, the Bible has something to say about both, both physical health and spiritual health. I want to show you a verse that's always stood out to me. In 1 Timothy, Paul says this, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, which I think is very important. The Bible affirms that our bodily life here and now actually has value. So you can like hit the person next to you that's been resisting going to the doctor and tell them the Bible says, go to the doctor, Um, eat healthy, exercise. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So it's valuable to take care of ourselves physically. We know that does not happen on its own. It takes effort, right? You have to be careful about what you eat and how you stay active and um, take up good habits for your body. And guys, the same thing applies to our spiritual health. We have to be intentional to have healthy spiritual practices if we want to be spiritually healthy. And the Bible admonishes us to be spiritually healthy, to train ourselves for godliness. We're doing a series, we started last week, it's called Intentional Faith, and we're looking at um, how we can be intentional about the ways we follow Jesus. We're not talking about adding a whole bunch of things to your to-do list or just increasing your church attendance so that you live at church all the time. We know that intentional faith also has to be realistic, and we're busy, life is busy, we've got a lot going on. Intentional faith is also not about just becoming the perfect Christian that never messes up. We're all in process. Intentional faith is about understanding that we have got to focus. We've got to have some kind of intentionality uh, to understand that if we really want to follow Jesus and grow in our faith, it doesn't happen all by itself. It doesn't happen when we're on autopilot. And so the second week in the series right here, and what we're going to talk about are the main building blocks of intentional faith, which is intentional practices that can grow us deep in Christ. Uh, Will you pray with me right now before we get started? Lord, I thank you that you give us opportunities to grow in you, to know you, uh, to live a life in Christ. And God, we know that does not happen on its own and we need your help. So we're asking you today, show us, Lord, what it looks like for each of us to take a step closer to you Show us what each of us can do to take a step to grow in our intentionality to live out the Christian life. We pray that you'd you'd show us something and you would give us the courage to respond to your call in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we talk about spiritual practices, first we have to acknowledge that our habits and our rhythms of life they affect us and they form us more than we would like to admit. The, the things we do day in and day out, they don't just uh, take up space in our calendar. They don't just become things in our to-do list, but they're things that they, they tell us something about who we are, about 
what we're supposed to love, and ultimately all of our little habits and practices build up in us an image of the good life that we're all seeking towards. That's one of the things that directs us more than we realize. It's a lot happening in the subconscious. I, I just want to give you some examples of habits that shape us and form our lives for better or worse, things that uh, we may or may not be aware of that are shaping us. So here's a few things that are probably daily habits for many of us. I want to see if any of these are forming and shaping your life right now. We got the news, right? It's good to read the news every day, to be informed, or maybe watch the news, or maybe listen to the news. Um, and it's not just gaining information that happens. We also, uh, we, ha- we have to know, I hope you know, there's, not, there's no such thing as totally non-biased journalism, but there are, are other messages that happening depending on which uh, news uh, source you're going to. Um, and it's, you know, most of the time we go to the things that tell us what we want to hear because it feels good. Uh, and then we, we stay with something, and we get very confused when we encounter people that read a totally different news source, and they think something totally different than us. And, and we really, legitimately, we think, are they crazy? Because I could never arrive at that conclusion. Because we're being formed by something we're doing every day. Another thing, this is a screenshot from my phone, uh, Facebook and the many different social media avenues. And we know, if you've seen The Social Dilemma, I highly recommend that uh, documentary. Uh, it's about uh, social networking and, and social uh, media and how the algorithms really, they're designed to get us addicted so that the endless scroll never stops, right? And we, have, we, we all have these, but if you don't have this, you probably have a computer or a tablet, and it's easy to get lost, Right? But maybe you're above that. Maybe you're, the, you're better than us and you don't get sucked into any of that stuff. Um, what about this? Do we got any sports fans in the house? All right, we got some sports fans. Uh, following professional or collegiate athletes, uh, it can be like an alternative religion to tell you who you are, what tribe do you belong to, what should you love and cheer for. They even have their own version of hymns and prayers and uh, religious superstition, right? It forms us, even though we don't realize it. What about this? Anyone ever formed by, by money? There's some good habits that you can have with money. You, if you learn to save your money, to, to not spend more than you make, but to put some aside in savings, that's a good habit. If you learn to give your money, we actually know that can build up a generous life in people. If the more you let go of what you have to give to others, it will build up a generous spirit in you. It's a great thing. There's some bad habits with money, right? We can uh, be products of consumerism and always be looking for the next thing to buy, right? That can make us greedy for more. We could check our financial accounts every day. We could be on the great mission to only depend on myself and not trust God for provision. And it it can be a wormhole you get lost in and it can do things to you. It shapes you and forms you, right? What about this? Anyone have this habit? (laughs) Don't worry, this is not today's Wordle. I didn't give it away. This is, if if you're an avid Wordler like me, you know this was from earlier in the week. We have these kind of habits. Sometimes, if you have this kind of habit, you can't even go to bed before you've done your game for the day, right? It shapes us and forms us. Um, I like to think it makes me better at words and letters. I don't know what eternal value that has, but it's doing something to me. And then there's this, 
At the end of the day, the habit of sitting around watching a TV show to unwind, not necessarily a bad thing, but what we watch shapes us, informs us, and all the streaming services are happy to recommend the next series, right? Because they know us, or they know the person you're sharing an account with. You get to see their thing, right? A lot of this you know, comes down to this device right here. This device has dramatically changed life for all of us because we don't go very long without having it. If I don't have it in my pocket, actually, I was wearing a robe at the 845 service. I didn't have it in my pocket, and I got to this part of the sermon, and I started like frantically patting my pockets. Where did my phone go? And Tom had to bring it to me. This thing I depend on for waking up, for knowing what, what's on my to-do list. Uh, I check my work email before I get to work. Um, if I'm having a bad day, uh, I'll, I'll just text my friend. No, I'll just put it on social media so everyone can see. Um, if I need a distraction, oh man, there are things I can numb my whole life by getting lost in this, right? And it shapes me and it forms me far more than I wish it did. And oftentimes... I have a really hard time putting it down. Oh, maybe I should get it. And because of this, we are in a different time and place than Christianity for the past 2,000 years. And there's a lot similar. There's a lot we still learn from historic Christianity, but maybe more so than ever, it's important that we have intentional practices that can help us build up time and space to let God be at work in our lives, right? That's been a part of Christianity from the beginning, um, but it's very, very important today. In John Wesley's day, uh, those Christian practices that have always been existing in Christian life were getting to be very routine and boring. And you know when you, like, you go through the motions of a practice, but you're not really sure why you're doing it? Um, I bet there's people that came to church this morning because you come to church Sunday morning. That, that's one example, but there's many ways that practices can become routine for us. And in 1700s in England, John Wesley realized people had some religious practices, but they were maybe were a little more concerned about, do other people see my practices? Do they think I'm a good Christian? Or they just went through the motions without thinking about it. So the really helpful thing that John Wesley did as he was starting Methodism is he helped show Christians, how do you have an intentional faith? How do you have practices that allow God to grow your life? And he used this language uh, he didn't call them spiritual practices. He called them means of grace. Now, means of grace, they actually allow us to interact with God's grace. He said it this way. By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men or women preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. So in, in modern-day language, John Wesley is saying a means of grace, they're practices that allow us to encounter God's grace so we can be transformed. Richard Foster, the great contemplative Christian uh, writer, says it this way, the spiritual disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So we cannot transform ourselves. I cannot will myself to be more Christ-like. Um, I can try, 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 but I'm going to come to a limitation in how much I'm able to really change my heart. But you know who can change my heart in my life is God. 
I'm not off the hook though. The part that I have to play is I have to be intentional to put myself before God to welcome God in so he can transform us. And so that's what it means to have spiritual practices. That's why this is the first part of an intentional faith. Once you decide you want to have an intentional faith, you need intentional practices that will allow you to encounter the grace of God and be transformed. So I want to talk about two of the spiritual practices today that I think are the the two root building blocks for intentional faith. They're practices that whenever I have seen someone growing as a Christian, these have been at work in their lives. And whenever I've experienced larger seasons of growth, these have been key parts of that. Those two practices are scripture reading and prayer. And I think they undergird every single spiritual practice there is. So I'm going to just do a, a very, very surface level introduction into this. And then I have a challenge for you at the end. So pay, pay attention. First, Jesus teaches about prayer. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Friends, Jesus wants us to ask God for things. But what I think he really wants us to do is to build up a dependency on God with our whole life. And that sounds really good. I wonder how do we normally go about prayer? Well, Alan Jackson, who wrote the book Intentional Faith, he had a great analogy He says, we normally go about prayer like this. Do you guys know what this is? I know some of y'all are like, Thomas, do you know what this is? Yes, I know what it is. We had one in my parents' bedroom growing up because the the more modern up-to-date phone was in the kitchen. This is a rotary phone. It doesn't have touch tone. You have to like spin it. I mean, it's really cool. Really, really cool. They're probably about overdue to come back into style, I think. But Alan Jackson says that We treat prayer like a rotary phone where we never use it. And then when there's an emergency, when there's a crisis, we scramble to try to figure out how it works. Oh my gosh, if I don't get this figured out. And then we make the long distance phone call to God and say, oh God, please, I only have a minute left on this phone call. I need you to help me. Thanks, bye. And we hang up and God's still long distance. I hope you heard me. And I won't do that again for a few months. And that's just not actually how prayer is meant to work. What prayer is actually meant to work like, right here, or just so I can touch my phone again, right Right here, more like a smartphone. A smartphone is not something that I use every once in a while, right? We've already been over this. I use this day in and day out. And if I don't have it, I almost don't know how to get through my day. Prayer can be like that. Prayer, instead of it being a long-distance crisis phone call to God that happens very seldom, prayer can be a way of processing life with God. We're going to build up a little list here. When we process life with God, we can pray whenever we are, wherever we are. And, And Jesus did this. If we look at his life, which is a great example for us to follow, people bring him kids and he prays for them. When he has a meal with his friends, he prays for the meal. When there's not enough food to share with everybody, he prays for more. When Jesus uh, is with his friends, he prays for them. When Jesus uh, needs some extra time with God, he goes for a walk by himself. His disciples don't know what to do with that because they wish he was there, but he's off praying. When Jesus is struggling, he talks to God in a raw and vulnerable way 
It's not pretty. It's not the neat, nice pastoral prayer that you hear. Jesus knew how to stay connected with God all the time. And I think what Jesus models for us, he processed his whole life with God through prayer. Friends, we can have that kind of prayer life too. It doesn't uh, take being a prayer expert. Even if you've thought before, I'm not really that kind of person, you can process your life with God. Here's something else helpful that Jesus says about prayer. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. And right after this is when he introduces the words of the Lord's Prayer, which is an incredibly simple, concise prayer. I think many of us need to be reminded, you don't have to talk in flowery language to pray. You don't have to try to make your prayer uh, sound like you are the prayer expert. You can talk to God with simple words. So that second point is we've got to keep it simple. And there's ways we can keep it simple. Um, Alan Jackson had a number of, of just ways to start prayers. Any of us can do this. God, I need help. Lord, I'm afraid. I do not know what to do. Lord, my family, blank. God, my heart is broken for blank. These are all ways of processing life with God, and you can speak to God in your normal voice. You don't have to develop any kind of professional Christian prayer voice that actually doesn't exist. It's not a true thing. The other thing I would say, as you're thinking about processing life with God, it's helpful to spend some time praying for yourself and sometimes praying for others. Uh, I've met people before who want to pray for others and are resistant to uh, receiving prayer from anyone else, um, almost like they think that's the most ultimate selfless act. It's actually good to get prayer and to pray for yourself sometimes. We need that, all of us do. But it's also good to bless others, to spend a little bit of time blessing other people, even as you go through your day. And then the last thing I'll say, just tips for developing a little bit of a prayer life, is sometimes we need help focusing. At least I do. When I am struggling to focus in times of prayer, I get a journal out and I write my prayers down. And it's just so I can stay focused. Some other ways of being focused, though, sometimes if I'm praying with someone else, that helps me out. Sometimes I will use other people's prayers or praying through scripture can help me. The book of Psalms, there's 150 of them. You can pick one of them. It's an excellent prayer guide. We have a prayer usher that's going to be right outside the, the, the back doors there right after the service. If you want prayer, you can ask them to pray for you. Or you have all the people in here. This is your church family. And, and guess what? If anyone asks you to pray with them, you don't have to be an expert to pray with them. It's good news. The point of this is that we want to process life with God as an intentional practice that will help us grow in our faith. The next practice is scripture reading. And I think we need to acknowledge the Bible can be complex and confusing for many. It's 66 books that are written by multiple authors over the course of hundreds or thousands of years. There's multiple genres of scripture. We have uh, some historic narrative, which is kind of nice, but then we have like prophetic writings and apocalyptic literature. What do we do with that? Or if it's a letter, who is it being written to? I've never heard of that place before. There are things in there that are more violent than we're used to. Sometimes they're suggestive and some things that just seem unbelievable. So what do we do with the Bible? Well, one of the things that I think we need to do with the Bible is even when we have struggles with it, if we let those struggles keep us from reading the Bible, we're probably never going to figure it out. 
So the first thing we need to do is we probably just need to start somewhere. And here's, here's something I want you to know. You don't have to have the whole Bible figured out before you start reading. When you read the Bible, you will get questions that come to your mind. You can write those down. Some of those you'll be able to resolve pretty quickly. Others might take time and that's a part of the process. That's okay. So here's some, some quick tips on reading the Bible. I would say start with the Gospels. And the reason we start with the Gospels, if you've never read the Bible consistently or if you've struggled with the Bible, is because the Gospels are narrative, it's story. So it's generally it's easier to read than say like Paul's letters, which can be a little complex with long sentences. Um, also though, the Gospels are primarily about Jesus. And Jesus is the interpretive lens for the rest of the Bible. The thing that's gonna help us understand the whole story of scripture. So if, you, if you're wanting to start reading the Bible consistently, start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. There's a verse in Hebrews 4.12 that says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What I love about this verse is it talks about how Scripture is something that's meant to do something inside of us. And this leads me to the next point. We need to be reading for formation, not just information. In our Enlightenment Western society, we have this tendency to want to read the Bible to gain facts. And, and facts are good, um, but there's more to reading the Bible than just having things memorized so you can have the Sunday school answer correct, right? I know, I know some of us are tempted by that, um, and we lean towards wanting to have all the right facts, when we read the Bible, it's not meant for us to just absorb it into our head. It's meant to leave an impact in our heart. So what we have to do when we read it, really when I read the Bible, I, I first, I read a passage, I ask, so what happened in that passage? Try to make sure I understood what happened. But then I ask, um, what does it mean? And what does it mean that I need to pay attention to in my life, right? Not what does it mean so I can tell my enemies they're wrong, not what does it mean so I can confirm what I already believed is true and I'm not going to change what I believe. But what do I see in there that God is showing I need to especially pay attention to in my life? And that's when you allow scripture to start forming you. If you read the Bible that way, it will allow you to encounter God's grace. Once you do that, you're going to have to do the next step, which is really hard and it's essential. You're going to have to live it out. What that means is, is you can't read the Bible and just get the information up here. You also can't just read the Bible and get a good happy feeling in here or have some great takeaway that then falls flat. You really want to ask the question, what do I need to do and how I'm living my life to align myself with God's word? How can I align my life? I, I read a section about how I'm supposed to not hate my enemies, but love them and pray for them. Like, ooh, Man, that's going to be hard. You know what? That's going to drive you to pray more, not just for your enemies, but for yourself, because you're going to need God to help you do that, probably. But we have to live it out. The other things that I'll say, uh, reading with others is very helpful, um, and, and some of the others are all here with you or in your own household. Um, you can ask questions about what you've read. And I'll just say the pastors here at Bethany, a part of our job as shepherds of this congregation is to help you when you come to places in scripture where you're not sure what to do. So I don't know if y'all know this, y'all can email us, 
ask us for a time to meet and we can help you understand the scriptures. That's a part of our role. The, the last thing, building a consistent habit is helpful and really it's necessary. And so in that in mind, here is the challenge that we have. We are going to do a 100-day challenge. The 100-day challenge for anyone who will accept this challenge is 100 days of daily Bible reading and prayer. And there's, there's going to be a bookmark. Some of you guys got it on the way in. Some of you can get it on the way out. Um, this 100-day challenge starts with reading the Gospels, starts with Matthew. We're going to begin this tomorrow, and it's two or three chapters a day for 100 days. And we get to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Then we start going through the rest of the New Testament. And after 100 days, we will have read through the whole New Testament. Now, I think this is an opportunity for us. You might, maybe you're one of those people, like me, I thought I was not a runner. And you've thought, man, I'm just not a Bible reader. And if that's you, if you've ever had that thought, I want you to reconsider. And I want you to consider doing this 100-day challenge with me and trying to read the Bible. And you're not going to do it perfectly. That's not what this is about. But taking a step, taking small incremental steps to start to read scripture and to pray is going to allow you to encounter God in a more consistent way. Maybe you have read the Bible in the past and you haven't done it in a while. Maybe this is a good opportunity to restart this practice for you. Or maybe you have a really good daily devotional where you read someone else's thoughts on the Bible. And what I want you to know is that that's great. And alongside that, I think there's value in reading the actual word of God yourself. I think that's valuable. Wherever you are, I hope you'll consider doing this 100-day challenge. And we have some questions on the bookmark. <clears throat> you can uh, ask these of yourself as you read, and the hope is it'll help you apply this to your life and let the word form you. Um, my wife is finishing school for physical therapy assistance, and so she's been working in a number of different uh, physical therapy offices as she has uh, done her clinical hours. She's told me there's a couple different kind of physical therapy patients. There's one kind of patient that goes to the therapist, they, uh, the doctor works on them, they get assigned exercises, they go home, they do their exercises, and they come back and they've generally shown some progress and improvement. They keep going to the therapist until their, their sessions are done, but they, doing that work at home helps them get better. There's another kind of patient, and I would probably be this kind of patient. They go to the therapist, the therapist uh, works on them, gives them homework, exercises. They go home and think, man, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I'll just go back to the therapist and the therapist can fix me next week. And they keep trying that. And for some reason, it just doesn't work the same way. So my friends, what you need to know is church is kind of like that. You can come here every week and I can tell you about God's word and we can work on you a little bit. We can say some prayers for you. But what's really going to help you grow to develop a spiritual health is when you start to have those intentional practices in your life. And you don't have to be perfect at it. Um, you just have to start. So I wonder for you, what's the next step to have those intentional practices that can grow you in a real faith with God? Let, let's pray. God, I give you thanks that you give us your word, the scriptures, so that we can hear from you and get to know who you are and how we can follow you. And I thank you that we have this opportunity to pray, to process life with you. And I thank you, most of all, God, that we don't have to have it perfect. 
Come and show us, Lord, how we can take steps towards you and having these intentional faith practices in our lives starting this week. We pray that you would give us the grace we need to grow and to be intentional in how we follow you, Jesus. Amen.